Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to the James Bond Complex podcast, the show where we discuss, rejoice, and analyze with a finely toothed comb the entire James Bond flanger in, in all of its shapes and forms from Fleming to films, and of course, everything in between. Oh. Ooh. Mm. I think you, you know what? I'm getting a little bit on, um, I'm feeling under attack this morning because I think your ooh is better than mine. You have a bit of a deeper voice than mine. I've been, I've been working on it. That's what I, I do at tell. night, you know, when before bed, when the wife is getting ready and brushing her teeth, I'm just in the bedroom going, ooh. That is, that is, <laughs> that is what one does when getting ready for bed with the wife. Yeah. So uh, I'm one of your hosts. In case you didn't notice, my name is Edgar. I'm the other host, Emery. You are the other host. And uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Bright and early on this Saturday. And mm. we are going back to Fleming. It's one of our favorite things to do. Uh, I believe we even had off-mic conversations recently about how it's re-energized some of these episodes because we're going back to the yeah. source and we haven't talked about Fleming in some time. Um, it is Fleming's second edition. Listeners have already uh, heard a couple of episodes this season, Goldfinger uh, with Melanie and uh, Thunderball with Bat number two. Uh, so we are at... The 10th book, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, mm. and of course, he who says second edition, says special guest. We have one of our favorite guests, if I'm not mistaken, the guest who's been on the show the most, if not, it's a close second. Uh, we have Miwi, Bill, from The Man with the Golden, I mean, from, uh, from uh, The Spy Command. Hey, Bill. Hey, Edgar. Emery, how's it going? Doing well. You're on the show. It's doing great. I'm feeling Absolutely. awesome. <laughs> Speaking of feeling revitalized, Bill is back. <laughs> so we have a special one on our hands. Now, Now, Bill, not only is this not your first James Bond Complex uh, episode, far from it, in fact, it's also not your first Fleming Second Edition. So I won't, I won't go through what's your history with Fleming and whatnot, but maybe we'll start a little bit more micro than usual anyways. Maybe what's your history? And we'll get to you, Emery, also, because you've never talked about this, but who loved me on, on the show. Right. Um, Bill, uh, how, has your, how have your feelings and thoughts and, and personal backstory with this book developed over the years? I have to admit, this is probably of the books, this is probably the ones I've read the least. Um, mm. And it's been a long time. Uh, since I had read it, and when the chance came up to uh, to do this uh, podcast, I said, mm -hmm. I, I, I I raised my hand. I said, you know, because you know everybody wants gets the cool books, and yeah. you know, the Spy Who Loved Me isn't considered a cool book. So I said, no. all right, I'll do it. You know, you know, I'll do it. it you know, it was a chance to uh, get myself, you know, how should I say it? familiarize myself with it again after a long absence so mm -hmm. uh and it's interesting um i had i've got two copies one is a signet uh paperback you know printed in the 60s you know it says a james bond thriller down the side um published here in the in the u.s um and then I have this uh, book club edition, which, you know, someone was wanting to unload their, their copies of the book club. Again, this was some printed in the 60s as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it was interesting. And in a way, I actually admire Fleming on this one because, mm -hmm. okay, here's a guy. He, first of all, he'd been doing the novels for almost a decade when he wrote it. And 
it's it's such a departure and the fact he took on that you know he a man in his 50s writing from the perspective of a woman in her 20s mm-hmm. um the fact that he tried it and got it published and it's like even if you don't like it you know i kind of admire it that he was willing to try such a departure and you know he kind of disowned the book um which i think is unfortunate it's like you know you you write it you own it you know it's like I, mm-hmm. it, it there is that weird prologue where um writing as himself he says yeah i found this uh, on my desk one morning at work and <laughs> and here here it is for you readers um mm-hmm. that's that's kind of odd but uh but, but you know it 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 was it was an experiment. If, if he wanted to try it, it's like I I admire that. Uh, you you can argue, you can debate. I'm not really sure it's worth an argument um, about this or that. But uh, you know the fact he tried it, and again, and and it's written in the first person, and which mm-hmm. is different from you know his other you know novels and short stories. Um. So yeah, it's it's I I I found myself pleasantly surprised because it'd been so long since I had read it, um, mm-hmm. and we can get into some specific details for 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 readers who are unfamiliar. As as I said, you know, it's written from the perspective of a woman in her twenties, and Bond doesn't appear for at least half the book, maybe even two thirds. Um, yeah, just about. He he shows up, you know kind of just in the nick of time <laughs> because as he because, is wont to do yes yes uh and well anyway we we go into more specifics mm. as we go along but uh emory uh, you 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 uh, teased me a little bit of what your background with the with the book was uh in, in our texting but uh yeah. regale the listeners now i i didn't really comment because i wanted to hear it on the show like the first time you read this book I read this in high school. This was, I'm, I'm maybe misremembering, but I'm I'm almost 100% certain that this was the first Bond novel that I read. And that was because it was the only one that was available at my school library. And I would have been mm-hmm. very immersed in um, kind of the, the old Connery movies from the, mm-hmm. from the video store and renting those and getting into the Bond uh, again. And then, you know, Goldeneye and, and, um, Tomorrow Never Dies had come out. Mm-hmm. So it kind of like renewed my interest in Bond. I said, well, I guess I should read the books. And the only copy that was available the day I went to the library was The Spy Who Loved Me. And I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, where the hell is Bond? <laughs> like, this yeah. is where three, yeah. two thirds of the way in. I'm like, is this how he writes all his books? I was really um, a complete newbie in regards to that. Um, so that was my, my first time reading it. I think the second time I read it as when I finally got the uh, the Penguin um, edition of the paperback, and I kind of read through it and kind of had a better understanding and a better appreciation of it because I had read all the other previous books. So I kind of maybe it it, it had a better flow and it was better understanding of there. There's so much of Fleming in it. I mean, it's 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 written in the first person, which is odd for Fleming to have written in the first person. But there's so many elements of how he writes a Bond book in there anyway that it it still comes off as as a good fit for the bond novels it's just awkward that you know 
two thirds of it is this uncomfortable romance novel. Um, and then we get some action at the end. Yeah. That's, it's an interesting point you bring up there. Bill, you mentioned about the fact that it's written in the first person and that's different. And Emery, you just mentioned that there is so much of Fleming in this book. So we have something different first person and the, our, our, our leading lady is the protagonist mm. yet there's so much Fleming. How, how do we reconcile those two things? Uh, you know, for in, in instance, I, I, I want to get to the heart of that idea. It's completely different yet. There's so much of Fleming in it. What, what do you, uh, and we'll do it snake, uh, snake version. I'll start. I want to start with Emery. Then we'll get to, to, uh, to Bill. Like, why is there so much Fleming in this, despite the fact that it's, famous or infamous for being so different well it's because of the way he wrote it i mean he's every, every book till now has had some influence of what he's he's lived so every book he's he's brought something out of something that he's personally had contact with or something that he's he's lived or or a mission that he's run through his military time and this book is no different and since i've moved to quebec city uh mm -hmm. 14 years ago a lot of these things became more evident. Um, the whole background. You, li you live in a Bond location. I live in a in a Bond novel location. Uh, brief, brief part of the book, but her background in in Quebec City, uh, living on Lille d'Orléans, uh, going to the Ursuline School, which is which is a stone's throw away from the Chateau Frontenac, and and you and uh, Matt saw it when we when you came to Quebec City for mm -hmm. the first time a couple of years ago. But those elements are, are directly from Fleming's visit to Quebec City in 1943 for the Quebec conference, the, the first Quebec conference. So he was in the city. He saw some things. He was in the Chateau Frontenac for the, for the meetings. The Ilsenin school, the all-female Catholic school or the all-girls Catholic school is literally five minutes away. It's a, it's a brief walk and we've, we walked it. We saw it. So it was there. The Vindicator. We a cigar in front of it. We, we, we absolutely did. Uh, there was the Vindicator crash of 1943 as well that happened in Montreal, uh, mm -hmm. and that's briefly mentioned. Is that how that's how her parents died was in a plane crash? Although the the Vindicator crash in Montreal was there was five crew members that were killed in the plane, so we're obviously thinking that she, the, her parents were probably some of the civilians on the ground who unfortunately lost their lives. Um, and just the whole trip down from with the the the, the, the trip on the Vespa from Quebec City going down to the states. I mean, if they had done that by car to go down to New York or whatever, they would have taken that route. I mean, that was mm -hmm. the route that they would have taken. Those routes still exist today, and I wouldn't suggest doing it on a Vespa, but I mean, the the whole, I can see the, the connection that I now have with the book of mm -hmm. seeing it through Fleming's eyes and how he would have seen it. I mean, he would have probably taken that trip to get to Ivor Bruce's uh, farm in Vermont, mm -hmm. too. It would have been kind of mm -hmm. the same trajectory. So those little pieces of how Fleming pieced together well uh, a life experience that he had and said, how can I turn this into, you know, fodder for a book? I mean, he probably met a girl who was much like her. Um, he didn't just dream this up. He probably saw some girl on a Vespa at one point and used that as influence later on. But the whole Quebec City kind of connection is really, really interesting that he just took that little one brief trip that he took there. He was maybe there for a week or even mm -hmm. less and use that for a whole backstory.
Interesting, interesting. I mean, Bill, I'm not going to force you to regale us in the details of Quebec City and whatnot, but maybe more, more generally speaking, what do you think is so Fleming about this book? If there is anything that's so Fleming well, about there, this book? it's funny. Even though you know uh, the protagonist Viv is is only in her twenties, you know she experiences quite a lot. You know, and I was going to say, kind of the worldliness of Fleming mm -hmm. shows up in in more general ways beyond specific locations. Because there's details, for example, about how one would go about getting an abortion in this time period, and you know, you you know, and and just kind of the description of how you made the arrangements, how you how you paid for it, how you you know how you recovered, mm -hmm. and uh, stuff like that. That's I suspect some of those details might make some readers a little uncomfortable, but. Mm. Uh, but you know, it, it 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 rings true at least, you know, from what I can tell reading it. You know, and it, if he hadn't, if, if Fleming didn't experience something firsthand, he knew how to research it yeah. because he, you know, he he was a journalist and uh, and he knew and having been in intelligence, he, he you know he knew how to research things mm -hmm. and and coming up with. Uh, the thing, my general observation about Fleming is he had this way of coming up with uh, telling details. In other words, little details that made it ring true for you, even if it's something totally out of thin right. air. Um, it it, it kind of gave you this impression of, of reality, even if it wasn't real. And mm -hmm. some of the continuation authors I've noticed pile on details. It's like, well, Fleming's got details. I got to put in details. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but it, it doesn't ring true because it's like, it just seems like putting in details for the sake of details. Mm -hmm. And, and Fleming knew which details to use. Yeah. It's, it, that's actually a, a very interesting point. And I think that's one of the things, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to maybe reveal something about, uh, uh, behind the scenes conversations, me and Matt don't think we're going to continue the Garner books. Um, it, it seems very <laughs> unlikely that we're going to continue the Garner books. Uh, we haven't released an episode in a good few months. And I think that was the last one we read. There are no plans to read the next one. Uh, so I find it interesting that you bring that point up, Bill, because Garner, not to pile on him exclusively, but you know he enjoys tech and 80s tech. Uh, and it's very, very detailed. It's just not very interesting to read. Maybe there are some people in the world who like reading that stuff and good on them. Um, but it, it's almost the, um, I don't want to say the wrong way of doing it because it, it's art after all. But but if, if you're trying to echo Fleming, I would wager that is the wrong way to do it. Whereas Fleming just has this ease with these little personality quirks and details about little locations uh, that that does make it very very yeah. true to life. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know when, a rare episode where we might be not, might not be talking about 007 a whole lot, but we'll get to him. <laughs> we'll get to him. Um, let's talk about Vivienne Michelle Viv. Um, is she? It's a bit of a tricky question because well, she's the main character. How can she not be developed? Um, and I'm not suggesting she's not, but because it's from the first person, because we follow her from page one to page whatever, 
do you guys like Bill? Do you think she's the most developed of our leading ladies? Is she the most interesting of our leading ladies? What 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 effect does that have on you when you read this book? It's from a leading lady perspective. And I'm not saying you're a leading lady, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it, it, she's developed somewhat. Um, it's life throws a lot at Viv uh, in this book. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you know, it's and it's it's actually. I don't know if it's the shortest novel. No, it's like, I think Casino Royale's maybe shorter. But anyway, it's a relatively short novel. And, and so much, you know, two, two love affairs that end badly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. her, her trip to, um, her trip to uh, uh, Canada. Oh, yeah. and, and then, and then her, her trip then from Canada into the States. And, uh, and running into gangsters and all this stuff. Um, it's very unlucky. Very unlucky. And uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I, there's attempts to, to develop it. It's like, I'm, I'm not sure how successful they are. Again, mm-hmm. you know, Fleming was giving himself a pretty big assignment here by, um, you know, writing, you know, writing from the perspective of someone who is so different from he was than he was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but, but, but there's more to the, I mean, it's, it's Viv just doesn't go from point A to B to C, etc. You know, there, there, there are definitely attempts at uh, characterization and, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I don't, I don't know how successful it, um, I would say is not the most developed uh, Fleming heroine, but, um, you know, but it's not bad. Hmm. Not bad. We'll go with not bad. Um, Emery, how, how not bad or how, how not good is it? <laughs> uh, I feel that, that the characterization of Viv, she's, she's very, um, it's very anecdotal. It's very, you know, straight mm-hmm. line. We don't get mm-hmm. the, the background. You know, if, if we were talking to the third person, if we were talking about traditionally how Fleming would have written things, he would have given like two, three pages of background. There would have been like a briefing. We would have gotten maybe a little bit more um, on her history and things like that. We do, but she tells it. So we get mm-hmm. maybe bits and pieces. But we do get the things that she lives through when she moves to England. And, you know, she has these two unfortunate lovers that mm-hmm. kind of, it defines her character at the same time. Like, I, I think that it really her those experiences as uncomfortable as they are because i mean her first relationship is is i mean super uncomfortable she lives this boyfriend who was basically mm-hmm. there to get the one thing and then gone mm-hmm. he takes it he takes a sweet ass time getting there but then he's like okay i got what i wanted i'm gone and the other one is obviously interested in her for just one thing because he has no interest of of pursuing a relationship farther than just fooling around so she kind of gets you know the short end of the stick twice in these two back-to-back relationships where one is kind of a womanizer and the other one is, I don't think there's a better way of saying it. He's, he's a Nazi. So, I mean, there's kind of the two things where he wants a relationship with a certain woman of a certain look of a certain bloodline. And the other one just wanted to get in her pants. So she's Mm -hmm. kind of left with this unfortunate, I've lived all these horrible experiences. I'm going back home and I'm going to start a new life in America. Um, You it's, it's this tragic, tale it's not really character development it's her telling a story so we don't really 
get the feeling. We, we kind of follow her along and we feel bad for her and we feel emotions for her. And there's a little bit of a connection there because we see, feel sorry for her. But as mm-hmm. the book's over, it's like, I'm not wanting more. Like, I'm not interested in this person at all. I don't want there to be a follow-up. I don't think there needs to be a Viv Michelle trilogy or anything like that. It's it's kind of like <laughs> one and done. We heard the story. All right, move on. Let's uh, go back to hunting the Russians or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting points you two just brought up there. And, and, and I wanted to get to that question this morning because as I reread the book, um, as the week developed, um, you know, page one becomes page 50, which becomes page 175. Oh, this thing's almost over. And I was questioning myself, not questioning myself, but I was asking myself, like, who is this character? I mean, it's not a book that passes the Beckdale test. We'll put it, we'll put it that way. Hmm. Uh, fine. You know, a book doesn't need to pass that test to be good or not. Um, but I couldn't really pinpoint who this character was. Um, it's interesting that she comes from Quebec City or Ile d'Orléans, which is not too far. Mm. And she talks about, and you know, back to your point, uh, Bill, about Fleming's research. You know, he knows about the Catholics and the Protestants, and you know, all that's very interesting. And if you're from the the region, like Emery and I are, oh, oh yeah, no, he's he's getting those details right. That's interesting. That's fun, mm. but. As far as Viv goes, I finished the book yesterday morning. I'm like, I'm not sure who she is. I don't know. If, I don't think I know this character. And I think that that goes back to what you were saying, Emery. It's it's a lot of, it's very anecdotal. And mm-hmm. it's very, you know, listen to my story. See what happened to me. I, I think Fleming tries and maybe we'll bleed into this next question you know Fleming tries to package it all uh, when in the final few pages when Viv says well since James Bond has made love to me you know now I, now I feel more complete now I feel like I now I'm a woman <laughs> yeah now um, I'm a woman I was a child and then he and just Bond. leaves <laughs> yeah. without saying goodbye I guess he left a note bye uh, <laughs> to know. Uh, it, it's it's it, yeah it, it's weird do, do we do we learn anything about james bond in this book is there anything that we didn't know through the first nine books that we're like oh that's that's interesting from james bond in this 10th one uh bill you know hmm maybe at the very edges um we get it you know actually the most interesting observation about Bond is is from that guy at the end, the one who talks to her, who's who's mm, you know, yeah, who's debriefing her, and then he makes this thing. He said, "Like this is off the record," and then he talks about how you've run into people uh, who are kind of like fighting a war, a war that you know we can't see, that the average person can't see, doesn't have contact with, and. And you've been through a lot because you've had contact with this secret war. You know, mm-hmm. the two gangsters on the one side and Bond on the other. And it was an inter you know, what that observation to me was that probably the most interesting thing about Bond's life, that this guy, this lieutenant, whatever, was, it, it's an interesting, it, in a sense, that lieutenant is basically Fleming's stand-in. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Fleming explaining mm-hmm. his universe 
And so in that sense, yeah, a little bit, you know, like, because the fact it's, it's not through Bond's eyes, it's, it's through this, this guy who's somewhat detached, but is aware of it, knows the implications of it. And uh, yeah, that's, I would say, yeah, that's a little bit of additional knowledge that's maybe not in the previous book. So basically, the idea that I don't want to—I don't want to misconstrue what you're, what you're—the point you're trying to make, Bill. Basically, the idea that now we're getting um, a synopsis of the world of James Bond from a from a side character who's who's knowledgeable enough about what James Bond does and the villains he goes after, but it's almost like a uh, the refreshing take of an outsider, the refreshing take yes. of someone on the outside looking in. Oh, okay, a yeah. slightly more objective take. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Emery, is there anything about James Bond that struck you? He's not in it a whole lot, but is there anything about James no. Bond this time that struck you? No? I think that in, in this one, the really only thing that struck me is that he, he makes a couple of mistakes that are kind yeah. of maybe uncharacteristic of him. And, you know, <clears throat> pardon me, the, the flat tire is kind of like a, a weird uh-huh. kind of situation to happen to him. Like he's never really had a a haphazard accident that wasn't on purpose. So, I mean, we're getting it from her perspective and what he's telling her. Um, so we're, we're not getting it from Fleming's third person. Like, is there something else that was sinister in regards to that? Like, I mean, was he chasing someone down the highway and the flat tire happened and there's a guy dead yeah. in the ditch somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we just, we've got it as a flat tire. Uh, but then he makes a couple of like, you know, mistakes in in where he's getting himself tripped up and and things like that and it's kind of uncharacteristic for and, for bond and, and i was about to say and bond even confesses that to Vin yeah. at one point so I, I i almost like oh, i could have had a v8 um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, oh, i messed that one up <laughs> sorry Viv. Um, she would hand him a Red Bull, and then she would, he'd get back on his horse, and everything would be right in his rain again. Well, he does take a Benzedrine to try he to does take you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He goes back on his old habits to get <laughs> drugged up and try and get me back on the saddle there. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're right. That that struck me too about you know bon, Bond's not at his best, you know, no. because it, it, it's that section of the book is very engrossing. You 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 get sucked into it, no question, but. When I was done with it, I'm thinking, you know, Bond, they're gangsters. Like, okay, it's like, you know, you know, it's not Dr. No, it's not Odd yeah. Job. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not these, you know, high, it's not Blofeld. It's, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's a couple of gangsters. They kind of, man, maybe Bond was tired. Well, he had just fought the German uh, agents that they were talking about in in the whole Ottawa connection there. And that's why one of the things that I kind of misremembered about this book is I thought this book was kind of on the return trip from uh, Fear Eyes Only. Like, I really thought that that the the trip Uh in New York would have made more sense if it was on the return coming back up from where he was. uh, Well, I guess we we were in Vermont, but he was in that somewhat area area. uh i thought that was kind of all linked because he was already there but then when i'm reading the book i'm like oh no this was a separate mission through ottawa that he went and did um that got him back through montreal down here so he kind of like dipped in twice i suppose and on Mm -hmm. different auto routes obviously on the i-89 and the i-87 but i mean he's he's kind of dipping in Mm -hmm. twice so i mean obviously he must be tired because i'm i'm assuming that 
I don't know what the chronology Fleming thought out for this was because of the, how the short stories are kind of all in different locales. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he's back and forth and back and forth, you know, from the Seychelles to France to Montreal to back to it's, it's kind of, um, I kind of think that maybe it would yeah. weigh on him, but for Fleming to write that weakness in finally, because he doesn't, he has written in weaknesses before of, of bond and, you know, moments of more emotional, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking and 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 um, inner monologues and things like that of of Bond being a little bit weaker or a little bit questioning things going on, but for him to actually make mistakes and and not do his job correctly because he's not sharp is uncharacteristic. Is one of the one things that kind of jumps mm-hmm. out there as as a Fleming novel, as a James Bond novel. It's like he's not perfect at all in this book. Like there's mm-hmm. a little these little mistakes. So I think that's that kind of adds to the character of Bond because you see it later on in the later books. I mean, he does make other mistakes, like he does have other weaknesses and other points of failure. The, the, I was wondering. The, oh, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say the book also reminded me of a Guy Hamilton directed movie in the sense of if you look at those four films, they have what some people dub the second ending, where mm-hmm. it's like Goldfinger mm-hmm. comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the other three, it's you know henchmen come back. Even mm-hmm. yeah. the main mm-hmm. villain's been dispatched, and that's what this reminded me of because uh, Bond shoots at the car yeah. with the two gangsters. Car goes in that's the true. in the lake, and like, well, okay, that's they both fun. must be dead. They both must be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then the one comes, uh, Slugsy, I think it was, yeah. comes, comes comes back, and like, oh. Oh, I should have made sure he was dead. Oh, that one's on mm-hmm. me, Viv. Sorry. <laughs> <Oops. Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. James Bond is translated by Bill Koenig. What's the plug? Yeah, well, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the worst translation I've heard. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, I, I, I might do a bit of an au clarification here, uh, even though uh, he's not present with us this morning. No clarification. Uh, he, he, he's not dead. Don't worry. He's alive. I'm seeing him later today. But uh, but I sort of took it as, you know what? He's just stopping by. These are just a couple of gangsters. This should be easy. Uh, you know, I'll sort of coax this little side mission here, and I'll bang this chick, and I'll be on my way. But maybe these gangsters end up being a little bit more competent than he bargained for. Again, I'm extrapolating a lot here. That's sort of how I how, how I read it. Or he, maybe he's a little overconfident. He's, oh, no, these, these bad guys... Um, they actually know what they're doing, and I've already made a couple of mistakes here. But he admits that. Like, he asks her the question straight up. Have they been smoking? Have they been drinking? She says no. So says, oh, that's the mark of a true professional. So he knows mm. that they're there to do a job, and they're not getting distracted mm. by drinking and smoking. Um, mm. yeah, I don't know how much good. smoking has to deal with it, because I would think that the smoking was going to calm them down. But, I mean, the drinking, I understand. But th- 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 that they're cool, and they're 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 all they're trying to really do is rape her. But I mean, other than that, that's the only vice that they're giving into They're They're there to, to do a job. They're not getting distracted. And he recognizes that that's the mark of a professional that they're, and then he's doing drugs. But I mean, that's another thing, but he, yeah. he recognizes the mark of a professional. So he kind of understands that he's up against two guys who are competent, but at the same time, like at any point he could have just, shot them between the eyes and he admits it he says i've always had a problem killing in cold blood right right yeah that's probably the weakest part of that section of the book because i hadn't read spy who loved me in a few years 
Um, so several details had escaped me. And I was thinking what Vivienne Michelle says like two seconds later. It's like, they were, dude, they were right there. Why didn't you just kill them? And, yeah. and then and then Bond says, I couldn't kill in cold blood. I thought that was a little, I don't know. <laughs> I would have shot them. Uh, you know, but I mean, is not it very nice people and, in cold blood? I mean, he's not there just killing random people. He kind of knows that they're bad people. There, he knows that they're there to do something sinister. Then uh, he's, mm -hmm. I mean, the option is call the cops or kill them, uh, knowing that they're probably eventually going to kill Viv. So it's mm -hmm. kind of is it? Does it become self defense? Does it become more of a a morality thing? Not being able to kill in cold blood. That kind of maybe it's just covering up the fact, oh, I missed, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's because it's not from Fleming's perspective. It's not the third person saying, no. you know, James Bond's internal monologue. It's what Bond is actually saying to Viv. So we're getting that dialogue. He's externalizing that thought. It's not an internal monologue where we've had in the past where he's not able to do such and such a thing where he's, he's having this mm -hmm. internal conflict and, you know, playing red Indians, like he's mentioned in the past. It's, it's, he says it out loud. I've never been able to kill in cold blood. I'm not know. sure about that because the whole for your eyes only Havelock revenge murder thing was kind of not your thing. You're doing it for M. So is that not more in cold mm. blood than helping this girl out who's going to get raped and killed by these two thugs? So that's kind of bothered me a little bit mm. about the weakness that he writes in there. Yeah, he seems to make Bond a little bit weaker than usual. It's funny, you brought up For Your Eyes Only, uh, which I thought about as well as I read Spy. Uh, this, as, as you alluded to, uh, Emery, this is not the first time that James Bond, in the Fleming books, that James Bond is in this neck of the woods, wink, wink, uh, in, the, in the United States. Uh, in fact, you know, th this wasn't published too long after uh, For Your Eyes Only. Mm -hmm. um, does being in the woods in the northeastern United States, is it suitable as a James Bond location? What do you as a reader get out of it in, in a Fleming Bond novel? Be oh, <clears throat> you know, it kind of fits in, um, pardon me. Um, <clears throat> I guess it fits in with the general change of pace that's involved mm -hmm. with this entire book, you know, because it's not a glamorous um place at all and uh you know like maybe just fleming was just really really trying to do something different um yeah. it's you know i mean we're we're basically talking about a, a motel is mm. like or is where the climax takes place uh a motel with a lake out back and mm -hmm. uh and it's about to close up for the season so it's not even it's not even the you know it's not just the fact it's an unglamorous location and the fact that it's a it's not even at the the best time to be at that location because right. they're about to, they're about to close it up yeah it's the end of the season um end of the tourist season so um so in that regard yeah it, it's it, it it i don't think it's a big demerit at all it's just again mm -hmm. it's it's just so different than what we're used to interesting uh, Emery, are, are there any takeaways for you about the fact that for twice in a couple of books now, we seem to be generally in the same area and it's a very out, out almost nowhere uh, in the woods, in these cabins and what have you? 
Yeah, it's it's um it's a different um it's a, definitely a different background for Fleming because it's not it, it's a touristy place like George uh, and I've I, I was there as a kid so I I kind of I've done the whole trip through the Adirondacks when I was maybe about eleven or twelve years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But is it super accessible to you know everyday people? No. It's 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 really kind of a it's it's much like Burlington or it's much like uh, a lot of other of these towns that are kind of like straddling the, the border. A lot of people from Canada will dip into Lake George for a weekend getaway uh, or into Burlington, Vermont for a weekend getaway. I mean, our friend Peo did it uh, a couple of weeks ago. He went mm-hmm. to Burlington mm-hmm. for the day. Uh, how many Montrealers have gone to Plattsburgh when the dollar was right to go shopping in Plattsburgh? I mean, many, many people. It's it's a vacation spot. There's a, I mean, there's I think there's a theme park in Lake George that uh, I remember seeing as a kid on TV all, passing all the time. Uh, I think it was called The Great Escape. So there's like... There's touristy stuff for upstate New York. So people will travel within kind of, I, I'm assuming, New England to to, mm-hmm. to visit places yeah. like this. Are people coming all the way from England and France and, and Los Angeles and from all these you know, faraway places to go there? I don't know. So the exoticness of the locations that we've seen in the past from Fleming to now come to you know, small town, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows it because he's been there because his mm-hmm. friend Ivor Bruce or Ivor Bryce, sorry, had the, had the, the, the cottage or, or yeah. the property in Vermont. So he knows the area because he's been there many times, but I mean, he's using that from experience. Again, is it, is it a locale that people are going to know necessarily? I mean, if everyone's going down to Ticonderoga for the, for the bond in motion, I mean, everyone will see it, but because you're you're in that general area, but at the same time, it's it's not one of those locales you think like I have to absolutely have mm-hmm. to go. It's, it looks amazing. It's a quiet, sleepy, uh, cottagey kind of town. It's great for a little weekend getaway. It also, um, I would add on to your points that it, it does make the story feel a little bit more contained. Maybe this plays a little mm. bit into what Bill was saying, but but it does make it more contained because we're sort of. We're not in London. We're not in Paris. We're not in Hong Kong. Or, or it makes wherever. it less global. It feels like a short story, but as a novel. Yeah, and it, what's funny, uh, I think we agree that uh, Casino Royale is still maybe the shortest, albeit not by much. But it, th- there is there's a funny vibe to this one. I, I I did get the sense that this was maybe a bit more of a short story, even though it's almost 200 pages. You know, at a certain page count, it's no longer a short story anymore. But you can argue as well that Casino Royale. Is is all in Real Dizzo. Like it happens, its entirety mm-hmm. happens in France. Whereas this one has little bits and pieces where she's mm-hmm. in London, where she's, you know, a little bit overseas and she moves around. But the story itself, where she's telling mm-hmm. it from, is all mm-hmm. in this motel. Uh, you know, James Bond shows up so late in this story. Mm. Uh, were there any lulls for you, guy? Let, let me take a look. Let me open this damn thing. Uh- <laughs> He shows up him at page 119 of the uh, Pulp Fiction Penguin Editions. 119. Mm. That's a lot of reading without James Bond. Um, uh, 119 of uh, 198. Uh, so James Bond is not in this book for over half it. Was it 
a bit of a chore to get through those first 117 pages? What was your best and worst takeaways from the first two sections? Bill, fire away. Oh, okay. Um, uh, boy, it's, but you do get the feeling it's like, okay, when, when's this thing going to go mm. into a higher gear? Mm. Um, you know, I don't know what, why Fleming wanted to do this, but obviously, <laughs> obviously he did. And, and he really, I mean, again, I keep going back to this. He was really going for something different and, you know, maybe he could have, you know, done a better job in the, in the Viv sections, the first two sections, but he, for whatever reason, he wanted to tell this story from, from the woman's standpoint and a woman who's very unlucky in love obviously mm -hmm. and um I, I didn't hit on anything particularly bad um mm. and and you know it's like I, I i guess i was i was still in i was viewing it as it's like i give the guy a lot of credit for going this far out mm -hmm. as to be yeah. something this different uh from his other novels i mean if you didn't know who Ian Fleming was and say you like you, you read you read Dr. No and then you read this, like what? <laughs> <laughs> the same guy yeah. wrote this? Like uh I, I I'd never have guessed that. Um mm. <laughs> so, how about you, Emery? Were there any little oh sorry, but I didn't I, I, I finish I, your point. I was just gonna say there you could you could certainly make the point that uh, there are some point there are some places where you might question how true it rings because again, he, he's, he's, he's imagining a story told from someone who was so different. I mean, Ian Fleming's a really worldly guy who's been to all these places and done all these things. And she's led a relatively <laughs> sheltered life. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but you know, it's again, I, I, I give the guy so much credit for trying that, it's like you know, I'll, I'll, a, a for effort. That's that's what we're well, calling this. A well, for effort. I'll I'll, gi I'll give you another <laughs> example of something so far out, so weird. I mean, and this lasted a long time. So, like the Dick Tracy comic strip. Okay, Chester Gould had been doing had been doing the strip for thirty one years, and then suddenly in in nineteen sixty two he introduces spaceships. And they eventually go to the moon and there's, oh, there's a race of moon people. There's a spot on the moon where there's an atmosphere. It's like, what? Like longtime readers must have been going, what is going on yeah. here? And, this is the and, first time I'm hearing of that happening in a Dick Tracy comic. So yeah, I'm just it, like, what? The, the space era, the space era started in 62. Um, there was literally no, <clears throat> excuse me, there was no warning. Basically, Diet Smith, the guy, the industrialist who makes the, gadgets for the police department like the two-way wrist radios mm. calls up tracy hey tracy i got something i want to show you tracy goes over hey here's a space coupe a, a magnetically powered spaceship nice. and of course immediately crooks have to steal it and go on a rampage and right Tracy's got to get them but you know it's like that was just so so strange it's such a departure and but i guess i have mixed feelings about it obviously but no. again you know, Chester Gould was 62 years old when he did this. He'd been doing the strip for 31 years and he does this radical departure. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, the, but part of me just kind of commends someone for like going that far out. And uh, anyway, is it a case, however, of I I, I want to hear your thoughts too, Emery? But is it a case of you know what's the what's the saying, the adage that we hear so often? Write about what you know. Uh, now it doesn't mean you have to do that. It doesn't mean that. Um, but usually that's what makes the job quote, job, end quote, a little bit easier, right about what you know. Right. To your point, uh, Bill, it's obviously not what Philomena is doing right here. So we credit him for the uh, attempt, uh, for the uh, the chutzpah of, of saying, I'm going to write from the other gender, and she's 30 years younger than me. But is at what point, what what's the, 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 the border between A for effort, but I don't think this is working out. Like, are we there with 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 this book? Because I get it; it's it's brave. Is it working? Boy, Emory, a, no, a, Bill, for, Bill, Bill. a for effort. Um, yeah, what letter grade? Uh, that's what I want. I want B, a letter grade. <laughs> B, B minus for execution, maybe. Okay. Sure. I mean, I think it's an interesting concept that uh, for for a one off. It's an interesting concept for a one off. Uh, to be to be honest, it's like I mean, right? You mentioned it before, right? What you know, he he kind of does, but he just doesn't write the same way. You know, he he writes about what he knows. He he, he knows her her backstory. He gives her a backstory because he's he's seen these things. So he writes those things that he knows. He obviously doesn't know much about writing romance because um, this isn't a romance novel. It's kind of I don't want to say presented in that sense, but there's like romantic happenings that he's trying to write from the women's perspective, but it's really awkward in the sense that it's got a very, I think the, the popular term when it's got a really cringy vibe. I mean, you can't, it's, it's one of those books where you, you feel uncomfortable reading it, but not so much as some other parts of, of Fleming in the past or watching, going back and rewatching, uh, you know, some of the Connery movies where there's kind of uncomfortable moments mm -hmm. that wouldn't pass on on TV and film today that you watch and it's like, ah, I'm a little uncomfortable. This book, I mean, her whole portion of it, there's kind of like these uncomfortable moments. She's living through this kind of tough time as as a young woman in her, you know, early 20s. It's 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 a really uncomfortable read in the sense that you know, Fleming didn't obviously live through this. So to write in that perspective, he's writing it through a man's perspective, but as a woman. So it's kind of mm -hmm. complicated in that sense. But I mean, I think I wouldn't give it much higher than a B minus either, because I wouldn't want to see a second book done in this sense. Um, unless it was not a Bond novel, he can try it. I mean, he wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and that was a kid's book. You know, it's it's he's gone off the rails a little bit and done other stuff. Mm -hmm. Thrilling Cities, you know, he's writing as a journalistic travelogue kind of mm -hmm. point of view, and that comes off as pretty good. Uh, I haven't read the Diamond Smugglers, and I hear it's kind of the same kind mm -hmm. of um, kind of book. So I I, I think that. In the sense is, is he able to write from a different perspective and write as a different kind of person and write a different kind of book? Yes. Was this it? No, this is not the book. This is not a James Bond novel. It could have been written 
as a, as a different novel and not included James Bond. The fact that he includes James Bond is, is an interesting one-off, but not something that really would have interested mm. me going further to, to have other books written in the perspective of someone else as a James Bond novel. Sorry, I was just laughing. I had this notion come into mind about, you know, this, this like you say, it's a one-off. If, yeah. if there was an attempt at a sequel, you know, by a continuation mm. author, you know, it's yeah. like, it's God. like, it's like 20 years later and Viv mm. is like, you know, <laughs> doing God knows what, but you know, it's kind of broken and, yeah all she can do is like cling to this memory of bond and but at the and, same time like could you make a, a sequel novel where her her life just gets better and it's rosy and it's 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 pretty and it's it's great no you kind of expect the next one to be like she's she's down like, on her she, luck and then she finally succeeds at the end mm. she, she's running a broken down hotel Right. Somewhere yeah. else, it's like oh, she crap. makes it yeah. to Florida. This, this keeps happening, yeah. This, it's, it's, or she makes it to Myrtle Beach, and that's where she sets up shop. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And gotta make it like uh, the sequel would be like what Die Hard Two, where it's just the same thing but in an airport, and not quite as good. <laughs> I, uh, but that, know, that's uh, what you would expect. I would expect a sequel to be like just watered down, um, and just like the memory of Bond and like hanging on to that feeling. But then finally succeeding in the end, or at least getting like a bit of closure at the end. But do you want to read that? No, I, I, I have no interest in a sequel. No, and um, you know what? You know what you just described reminds me of this one. It, it he would have called it parody, and I guess that's how he got mm -hmm. away with it. But there was this British film historian, Adrian Turner, did this pretty good book about Goldfinger, and there's a lot of interesting research about it but he also put in what amounts to a bond short story but it's like <clears throat> it's like an epilogue to goldfinger like all these years later bond's retired and he gets this letter and it turns out the letter is from um the daughter of pussy galore pussy galore has just passed away and like there's but here's this last you know but the daughter passes along this last note from pussy galore and and um and it's interesting, and Bond's crying at the end of the story. Oh. At the end of the story. Oh boy! And, and also, well, but it's 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 like fan fiction, and and mm -hmm. I have I have written fan fiction, so I I actually say this from a um, having having Place done it. Yeah. There's this tendency among fan fiction writers to want to tie everything together, and so it turns out, well, after after the movie uh, Goldfinger. Uh, Pussy Galore ended up marrying uh, Mark Rutland, who was the character that Connery played in Marnie. And <laughs> like, oh, God, we're tired. Oh, wow. Come on. No, no. Just don't do this. Um, <laughs> I would have expected. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. I've, I've actually just looked it up on Amazon because now I'm intrigued because Goldfinger is a, a great, uh, great favorite of mine. So I'm kind of intrigued now of uh, how that goes. The way the way the book is organized, it's by topic alphabetically. So it's mm. it's it's in the S section. Okay. S, S, for, S for Scarlet Letter. Um, All right. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So so. I'm sorry. I I, I kind of hijacked this, but it, this, no, this no. But that but that story reminds me of this. You know, weird. Obviously, it doesn't exist. Viv, Viv Michelle mm. <laughs> sequel. Mm. Yeah, it's like the only thing. Oh, and maybe then, but then, but then to really bring it full circle, Bond shows up again. And yeah. he's, he's, he's a, but he's a shadow of himself. He's a broken down ex agent. Uh, 
they, she helps you're the, the only one I trust. <laughs> I need your help. Nobody else can help me except you, Viv. Who are you again? Oh, right. I remember you. Thank you, John Gardner, for not doing that. Yeah, can you imagine? But it's it's interesting. A, a few moments ago, Emery, you said cringe. Uh, and <laughs> it was uh, that's an interesting word to use. I don't know if I felt cringe. The only thing that, to an extent, I'm not saying I felt it that intensely, but maybe there was a little soupçon there, a little peppering, was... And I think we broached this a bit earlier in the in the conversation. You know, it's not a book that passes the Bechdel test. And again, mm. I, reiter I reiterate, it doesn't need to pass that test to be good. Anything can be good. Um, but there is a funny vibe at the end of this book where she just, Viv feels so, she's not elated, but she's, she feels a little bit more reassured and confident about herself after this night with James Bond. And, you know, we spent yeah. the first two sections of the book with, um, what are their names? Derek and I can't remember the other guy's name, but, uh, the guy who worked for the German uh, newspaper or the, the new German news agency, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt. Uh, Derek and Kurt, who, who are both very, very flawed individuals, but, and James Bond, who is far from perfect himself, but he's sort of, graces her well, she gives he, she, he gives her the magic touch and that's well, like, oh well, I, feel, well, I feel pretty good now well well remember there is that one there is that one line some people consider infamous where viv says all women love semi-rape oh yes. yeah that let's was, talk about that a little bit that's an interesting one that, caught that my feels eye. very fleming you know, yeah. uh, he's, he was known for, I mean, there was, there was rumors that he was a very aggressive lover and there was, he was, he was into some stuff. And, uh, I think that's, that, that's the kind of thing that, um, he's projecting his view of it through her mm. eyes or through her, through her actions. That, that's, I mean, the whole Derek scenario is that that's what kind of made me feel like the, the, the moment in the theater is kind of like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this is making yeah. me a little comfortable like you can kind of see it playing out she doesn't want to do this he's forcing to hurt himself upon her a little bit she's she's he's influencing mm -hmm. her to do stuff that she doesn't want to do they get mm -hmm. caught she's super embarrassed he leaves her almost on the side of the road then he tries to they're, they're doing it in the middle of the forest and it's it's kind mm -hmm. of like these are kind of scenarios that are you shouldn't be doing this this is mm -hmm. kind of straddling the 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 line of morality here of of what's acceptable to do with a woman um so it's 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 kind of like he he's writing in her perspective but he's putting like the male perspective in there too or what men kind of want at that age because he's he's done it he's lived it he's mm -hmm. He's, he's, he, I, I don't want to characterize him necessarily as a womanizer, but he did have those tendencies strongly, mm -hmm. uh, just in his personal life. So I, I, yeah. It's yeah. The, the, that line is, that's a bit of an eye opener, isn't it? I don't think if he's, if he's written anything else in his 14 books that sort of made me go, Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, that's, is yeah. that how that works? No, 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 all women. That's, that's the last thing you take away from this book. Please, please, listeners, make it the last thing you take away from this book if you read it. I insist on that point. In fact, don't even take it away from the book. Just leave don't it try, the book. Readers, don't try this at home. <laughs> yes, no, exactly. please don't. Please don't. This is how people get canceled nowadays, you know? That's, that's yeah, Fleming, last, Fleming last would have been. Of, it's the last episode of the James Bond Complex. I promise you that. 
but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, spy spy command, we're shutting that. That's getting shut down pretty quick since you're associated with us now. <laughs> but, we're all going uh, down together. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a bit. Uh, but I, I take your points though, Emery. But although maybe I didn't feel it quite as intensely because Fleming is making it very clear that that she's you know intensely uncomfortable with the situation. So I always yeah. I, I I sort of gave Fleming that. Then he then he farts out that line near the end. I'm like, well, where's this coming from? Mm. Oh, it's coming from. It's coming from her experience from Bond. Mm. But um, <laughs> get get out of here, get, no, Fleming. Woman, I love you. Woman. Your your books are great, but get over yourself, Fleming. Yeah, get yeah. over yourself. Um, this we've you know we've I feel like we've spent the better part of this hour you know talking about um, how this is an experimental book. Uh, I'm curious to know, and I'll start with you, Bill. Uh, I, I'm sort of putting you two on the spot, I guess. But if Fleming had lived a few extra years. Uh, and had knocked out another quote bond book end quote but had decided to do another experiment what would you have liked fleming to have written in a it's a bond book but it's kind of like this where it's a little bit funky and you're not sure where this is going is there anything you 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 would uh is there anything you would fantasize about bill no <laughs> oh, interesting you know um well, um, we should. I, well, I'm going to point it out. Um, Fleming, of course, was involved for a time with the Man from Uncle TV show, and part. I'm I'm kind of curious what it would have been like uh, had he stayed with it and didn't bend into pressure uh, from Broccoli and Saltzman, um, and I. Because he did make, I, I did, I, I read a, a photocopy of this. It was a letter from his American agent and like, okay, this is what my client wants in terms of finances. And he was, he was never going to do the heavy lifting, but mm -hmm. he had expressed an interest in like doing, I guess you'd call them springboards, really, you know, some basic concepts for some episodes. So like, I, I mean, I don't think the show would have been terribly different but I am kind of curious, what would it have been like had he stuck with it? And maybe he would have had a little influence here or there. Um, you know, would he, you know, probably what would have happened is you know, like he might write up a brief synopsis and then some be assigned to a writer to actually turn it into mm -hmm. an episode. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, if, if he had lived, you know, I, I'm just curious, what if he could have lived one more month, one more month? <laughs> He would have he would have seen you know Goldfinger premiere in the in the UK, yeah. and you know and he would have seen you know the man from Uncle well he not see it but he'd be aware of it you know it, mm -hmm. it premiered in September of sixty four in the US and mm -hmm. like you know even if he had signed away his rights which he had you know it's like oh, it's, I got something to do with that that Napoleon yeah. Solo guy that was my name mm -hmm. that I gave. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of a Bond book that, I don't know, it's like he's, even if he lived another few years, I think he was kind of written out. Uh, it, it, it might would have been nice if he had had a chance to um, edit and revise, you know, The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, yeah. So actually, so actually I, would, I would say that would be my fantasy from the James Bond novel standpoint, mm -hmm. to have a true, complete, you know, you know last novel. 
Right. Interesting. It was a friend who edited it, right? I can't remember who it was. Was it Robert, uh, not Robert Markham. Wasn't it Kingsley Amos that finished it? Or was it? um, Awesome. It's a a known name. It's a known name, but I can't uh, can't remember who it was. Someone else had polished it up at the end there. Because if I'm remembering, the manuscript was complete. It was was never fully edited. Um, Or there was maybe, there was rumors that the end wasn't fully written and they they completed it afterwards. But um, anyway. For for me, I think yeah, I think I think Golden Gun could have been maybe polished just a little bit more uh, as a last one. I think one of the things that I, I would and I still would love for Ian Fleming Publications to one day do is take all those episodes for TV that he had written for Bond that have gotten mm. made part of the Horowitz novels here and there. I know that there's a couple of those short stories left. I'd love for those to come out as short stories mm. as the way that Fleming had written them. That would be that would be kind of the one ask that I would have, but that's not really an experimentation. Well, it's an experimentation because it was writing them for TV, but they ended up becoming mm-hmm. short stories anyway. Just like for your eyes only, kind of all became short stories based on ideas for for TV. And I I honestly think that a, a Bond TV show in those short story aspects works super super well um, mm-hmm. in my mind. But the one thing, if he was going to do it in an experimental and write it through the eyes of someone else and maybe not necessarily again in the first person, but even if he was writing in the third person, but using another main character as a protagonist, I, I think what would have been cool is if he, he went kind of the way of fan fiction does sometimes now and writes a novel through the eyes of another character, but in the same book. So say, uh, write, live and let die again, but from the perspective of Felix Leiter to get mm-hmm. something in the bond universe, but a character that's closely linked to Bond and have his perspective of, of, of what's going on. So seeing mm-hmm. Bond opposite him, but still in the third person. Cause I, I don't think the first person stuff really, it's not my cup of tea mm-hmm. uh, for, for a Bond book. Right. Right. That's oh, interesting. Uh, interesting answers there. I like the man with the golden gun. Cause that's such a controversial one. We, we will get to that book in a few months, mm-hmm. but I kind of, um, I don't know why I would want this. I can't quite explain myself, but I would want a book um, which wasn't a single mission. It was actually every chapter, every chapter would be the briefing in M's office, but from M's perspective, like what is, what does M think of James Bond and what does M think of this? uh, And maybe a little addendum, a page or two of M's thoughts on the mission, like once Bond completed it. And it would sort of be this, um, collection of very short stories because you know even in the original books these 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 are only about a dozen pages long these aren't very long portions of the books but it's always from bond's perspective and he has such a bond has such a high regard for those grizzled gray eyes and the 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 sailor um that sailor's attitude and my who is that guy like what is what is this guy thinking uh, about james bond so that that probably would be something i would be uh, i'd be curious about um I'm just realizing we haven't talked about the bad guys in this book. <laughs> there are some bad guys. Um, Slugs and, and I, I, Yeah, and I, I'm not trying to be cute. Like, yes, Derek and Kurt are, quote, bad guys, but I'm referring to Slugsy and Horror. Um, where, where do they fit in, in the long, the, the Fleming Villain Hall of Fame? Like, what do we think of Flux, Slugsy? <laughs> Slugsy and Horror. Well, well, Slugsy has a physical issue, which a lot of Fleming villains do, which is like he 
it doesn't even have eyebrows. He's like completely mm. hairless. Uh, mm -hmm. And which isn't, you know, an odd, an oddity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, horror is, I forget, there was a thing about his teeth. Now, I forget. He's got metal capped teeth pretty much everywhere. Yeah. So that they, they, I've read that it's kind of like the, the, the prototype of Jaws. That's the only thing that they took from the spy love me the novel to put into the movie was that he had metal teeth <laughs> right right yeah so so there's you know so they have you know these these physical oddities um you know they're they're certainly not masterminds they're they're hoods who are being they've been given a job by a higher ranking hood um and you know they're they're going to burn down the hotel motel to uh for the insurance money Mm. and uh you know pretty ordinary thing but obviously <laughs> yeah. well no I, that, that came out wrong um as yeah, a former mean, insurance you know. adjuster i completely concur that it is a completely normal thing to burn something down for the insurance money okay yeah <laughs> you know it's it's you know the world the world is not in uh you know in jeopardy or anything like that it's 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 you know Obviously, that there's high stakes in that a woman's life is at stake, but you know this is not a you know gargantuan you know Spectre-like plot. Um, but it almost is because Spectre is referenced. <laughs> Spectre is referenced. Yeah, yeah as which, a side which, note, but yeah, which I was going to say later that, but I'll say it now that you know. The, if there were a James Bond streaming show, and yes, I know, Iana said that will never happen. I, I fully, but if, but if it did, you know, actually, you know, Bond's mission to Canada would actually make a pretty good episode. You know, I mean, all, you know, mm -hmm. Bond describes it in, in a fair amount of detail, in fact, a surprising amount of detail, considering you know, she, she's not, uh, she has no security clearance, but anyway, mm -hmm. that aside, good point. and, 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 but as I was reading it again this time, I was, I was trying to imagine how you would turn that into like a TV episode. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it could work. You know, it's like, you've got, yeah. you've got the basics then you could like have a prologue, you have a briefing scene, you could, you know, because yeah. Bond is working with the Canadian authorities. And if I remember yeah. right, a, a Mountie gets killed. Uh, in yeah. Gets shot in the face or something like that. Yeah. 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 So, um anyway just that that's an aside i just want to be sure to there's another little bonus fantasy for us <laughs> yeah yeah oh but i i think it's it's a great idea i've always thought that if you took the short stories and turned them into a limited uh streaming series between movies it would keep the fans engaged you know yeah. you have you have this lull between movies but you have the actor who signed on so why not have him do not necessarily b-roll stuff but i mean if you took say quantum of solace and turn that into an episode boring on 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 as a book but you maybe add some excitement by making into this limited edition mm. kind of streaming episode of the story and does he have to actually do anything i mean daniel craig would literally just have to stand there and, and deliver a few lines and then it cuts to other actors so he's a limited engagement of the bond actor himself but keeps the things going hildebrandt rarities would have been another kind of one you could film that anywhere and uh, in the tropics and and kind of throw that in there and it's it's an exciting will add on to the universe i always thought the short stories were perfect for that but this little end part of of the last mm. 
third of Spy Who Loved Me, I think would make the first two thirds, you know, forget it. You're, you're going to lose your entire audience if they're waiting for the last 20 minutes of the episode for Bond to show up. But give us a 20 minute episode where Bond is in the action. You know, you give that little scene where you give enough of the premise of what's going on at the motel and then he, you know, knocks on the door. Or even if you made that a two parter, it could work out better. And I think that Slugsy and Horowitz are, are, are great kind of. That's true. His name is Horowitz. That's what I mean. They're, they're kind of like these two uh, hoods, but at the same time, there's, there's enough character to them where you can cast them interestingly and they have a certain look mm. to them that you're going to remember them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they are from a physical, as, as is often the case with the Bond villains in these books, from a physical standpoint, they are quite memorable. Mm. Um, especially Slugsy. Uh, I, I think my only qualm about them, and it, we, don't, we don't need to spend the next 10 minutes on this point, but you know, it, it, this is the second time uh, that James Bond faces like American villains, and it's the second time like they're just gangsters. Like, is this, yeah. is this Bill, is this the best your country has to offer as far as <laughs> villainy? Upstate New York gangsters. Little, yeah, a little weird. Like we're doing this again. It's not, I don't dislike the book. I think it's perfectly fine. But we're doing this again. We did that in Diamonds Are Forever well, in the also, same place with the same villains. Well, and also Goldfinger, you have the gangsters. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's true. And, and it's like you know Fleming must have had a thing about gangsters because you know like you yeah that's true. You're you're right. Fleming never gave us a, like an American mastermind. You know just. But in terms of like high crime in the United States in the, in that era, I mean, there wasn't, there weren't terror cells and things like that back then necessarily. I mean, the, the violence and the crime that you had was organized crime syndicates from the mafia and, and other gangs. I think that it's just accurate to the time. Um, I mean, it would be completely different today because you would have different organizations and different um, kind of things going on. But I mean, was there really, that many paramilitary groups running around the United States trying to disrupt things compared to the amount of, of actual uh, organized crime that you would have had. Mm, mm. Uh, I think you had some, um, but <laughs> I, I don't know enough about it to comment in any more detail. I think right. there was some, some of that, um, but yeah, well, Ku Klux Klan, you know, was, uh, was yeah. kind of a... How were they involved in... I mean, they did some pretty bad things, mind you, but but, but as far as Bond villains, I would... There's a way, you know, I'm sure that you can fit it you in. You would have had to weave it in a particular way for it to have worked. I mean, it would have to be integrally part of the story for, for it to work, but then um, at the same time, like, you're, you've, you've got to transport the Bond world to to the southern mm. united states and and find a, a international threat that would have been worth uh a novel to do right. about it. I, i'm supposed it's doable with a little bit of imagination and creativity i guess it's doable i think you would have to associate them with specter or smirch or something on a sideline mm. for funding some sort of mm. communist thing but i mean even that wouldn't sit well um sort of you know adding the mm. communists into the mix so I, I think that's kind of i think that's probably why he went with that because it were it was what was known to and maybe that's what was what was known to the readers in the uk too about what you know the american crime yeah. scene looked like it was it was you know these syndicates and things like that and 
there was the fantasy it was the, the mafia fantasy was was maybe what was running and that was that was what he thought was the most interesting i was about to say in terms of american television uh, in this year the, the 60s uh when you got into that you uh, it was often cold war it was often like uh mm-hmm. communist infiltrators right uh, cells um mm-hmm. where uh, where uh, the um the fbi which i have an episode guide for uh in the early seasons ran quite a few espionage related uh episodes and many of them involved deep undercover mm-hmm. operatives you know mm. po- posing as families and 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 you know bear in mind j edgar hoover you know the the real life fbi had they did have script approval and so this kind of this kind of fits oh, with yeah. sort of like the j edgar hoover worldview <laughs> Mm-hmm. of you know the enemy the enemy amongst us right so so yeah it, it so to answer your question yeah i th- i think uh um, my country does have uh, good villains but <laughs> i didn't say that yeah <laughs> i know i didn't say that you did and it's just i i kind of forgot about the whole communist cell thing that would have been probably a really great thing for for Fleming to have investigated other than use you know hoodlums three times in a row almost yeah so mm, I guess if if a, if a continuation of, well, actually you know what to be fair I believe one of the villains in those Horowitz books Horowitz the author not Horowitz or uh, is ha, does have an American background I can't remember which I think might be forever in a day isn't he an American or oh, he's a, a yeah he's an American philanthropist or something like that yeah, and um yeah. That's that's kind of interesting. I guess the obvious one would be if there was a continuation author who who did a modern Bond and and the villain was an American. I guess I was about to say Elon Musk. But Elon Musk isn't really an American. Um, no, but I guess it would be that kind of a that kind Jeff of Jeff Bezos. Uh, yeah, right. Jeff, it would be like a Jeff Bezos. I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not saying I'm not saying we need an American villain, but sort of. It's just reading these Flemings since we're doing these second editions. It's like, God damn, every time we go to the U.S., it's always gangsters. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you do something else. Um, but if you had to, um, how do I want to word this? Um, if you had to pitch The Spy Who Loved Me to someone who was curious about the Bond books, had an idea, I'm not, you know, they, they knew they were books before they were movies. Maybe they've read Casino Royale. You know, they they're not they're not nincompoops. They know their books, but they've never read this, and they're not necessarily Bond experts or aficionados like us. Bill, pitch that person. You know what? Read the Spy Who Loved Me because dot dot dot. Um, because it's it's definitely different. Uh, it's um. See what the fuss was about, because Fleming kind of disowned it. So, like, well, why would he disown it? Well, you can read mm-hmm. for yourself. And 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 meanwhile, it takes a while for Bond to appear, but once he does, things heat up. Mm. Mm. All right, a- a- Emery. Uh, I'm going to answer this. Uh, I'm going to answer this super, super, super simple and super, super logical. You should read the Spy Who Loved Me. Because you've read the nine previous books, gotta you're at book it. ten. You yeah. gotta read it because it's that's that's there's a certain continuity, there's a certain order. You see the progression of how Fleming writes. You see the progression of of Bond. Mm. 
um, you can skip it if you wanted to and then come back to it later. But I feel that if you're going to do, if you're going to read Fleming uh, once in your life, try and do it from start to finish, read all the books in order. And you can come back to the Spy Who Loved Me later in life. I read it. Right. <laughs> My first book was Spy Who Loved Me. Good job. It took me a while before I read another one. I did read another one. I wasn't unmotivated to read another one, but I wasn't satisfied with that book. But reading it again, uh, and this is probably my third or fourth time reading it, reading it again, you do get a, a, a better feel for Fleming having read all the previous books and understanding how he writes and reading other Fleming stuff. And it, it's it's a book, it has its place as a Fleming novel and as a James Bond novel, but you do need all that baggage of all the previous books to mm -hmm. help digest. Interesting. Just if you don't mind me asking, Emery, I, I'm sure you've said this in the past, but it's escaping me. How much time was there between, you know, this first book that you read in high school and, and the next time you picked up a Fleming story? Probably only a couple of months, to be perfectly honest, because I was I, I I'd honestly only picked up The Spy Who Loved Me because I was waiting for Goldfinger to come back because um, I, I was really Goldfinger was my movie. So I needed to read the book. So I was kind of only waiting. And I think there was only we only had three novels that were available. Um Mm. And uh, I think it was it was a spy love me Goldfinger, and I think it was either the man with the golden gun or from Russia with love. So those would be the three that I would have read in high school, and then I didn't read another Fleming until Casino Royale came out because I didn't. Right. Uh, that actually might not be true. No, um, I would have. Could you please tell the truth? No, it's be it's because I started collecting the books um, probably when I was around seventeen, eighteen. Uh, I started actually buying them because so we would go on vacation every year to the beach and there was a used bookstore mm -hmm. in okay. town. So I would get a book to read on the beach. Uh, so that's how I picked up a couple of my pen uh, editions of um, For Your Eyes Only and You Only Live Twice. And then I picked up a couple of hardcover gardeners there because that's all they had. So I kind of jumped around a little bit before I actually read everything in sequence. So I, I'm, I'm telling everyone they should read everything in sequence, not having mm -hmm. done it the first way, the first round myself. Um, just because I think it's, it's what having done it, you get a better feeling for Fleming than kind of reading them sporadically scattered all over the place. And, and I also found it interesting. Um, you may, you said it was a side mention and it is, but it was also interesting how the war with Spectre had continued on mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. Thunderball. And, yeah. and so this does show that, yes, they were still active and they were still, you know, out in the world causing trouble. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just, it's, it's just an, it's an interesting mention to put it that way. And again, as I said earlier, if you had a streaming show, I, I think you could make an episode out of that Canadian uh, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. It was it was interesting enough the way he's retelling it that, oh, I, I where's the short story version of that that we can yeah. read from Mon's perspective as as mm. you know Fleming would have written mm. it, right, right. Yeah, it does seem like I mean, mind you, we do get all the juicy details courtesy of Bond uh, relating them to to Viv on, on the counter there, but uh, but yeah, I agree. It would have made a nice short story or an interesting episode for a streaming show. Mm. Babs McGee, if you're listening. Yeah. If you're listening, there's always time to change your minds. I'll take half no, percent off the yeah. top, and that's all we need. You know, just a little <laughs> half percent of the profits <laughs> is yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, 
is there and we're, we're we're sort of coming down the final stretch here is is there anything well first and foremost uh, i don't want to assume anything that's the last thing a host should do bill is there anything about this book we haven't broached that you need to get off your healthy chest no i think we've we've hit uh we've pretty much hit the high points i did want to make mention uh talked about what it would have been like to to take a trip like viv's um Somebody has done that and is yeah. doing a book about it. Uh, the book title, I'm going to another tab, be sure I have it right, is called James Bond, Route 9, and Me. And it is by F.L. Toth. She is a, um, she's much more of a literary Bond fan, and she researches a lot about Fleming's life. Uh, she's, a, I believe, a librarian in her day job. Uh, but she has done a lot of writing about Fleming and the literary bond. So I don't know the details on the release, but that's the title. So I'd remembered her on Twitter mentioning it, that she was going to do it. And she, I think she had bought the scooter and she was going to do from, I don't know if she was leaving from, she was going to go all the way up to Montreal and do it, or she was doing the reverse trip because she's in the Adirondacks. Right. Um, so I don't know if she was doing the reverse trip and then reporting on that, or she was going to go through Montreal because I know she wasn't coming all the way from Quebec city to do it because to be perfectly honest, the, the way that the, he takes the route or she takes the route in the book and the, the route still exists. It's, it's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's highway and it's not highway. It's kind of like the highway going through. It's the one thirty two for, for you, uh, Edgar's reference from Quebec city to, mm -hmm. To, to Montreal. So it's kind of a longer route because it's more local. So, I mean, she says it takes a couple of days. In a scooter, it probably would take a couple of days. Uh, and I wouldn't do it, honestly. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, I would avoid doing that, especially that time of the year because it does get kind of chilly and you're you're against the the St. Lawrence River. It's, it's frigid when you're next to it. So I know that mm -hmm. she, she yeah. was doing a portion of it. I don't know if she's actually already done the route and she's and now she's just finishing the I, writing or where she's at with that. I, I think I think she's done the route and I I'm uh, for I'm under the impression it'll be out soon, but I don't know the specifics. I, I think she's done the trip and I think she's done the writing. But it's one of those books that's kind of like an offshoot, almost like some of the other um, books in the Carrie Edwards, like kind of reviews and things like that. Uh -huh. And the kind of little side, little anecdotal things. I'm I'm actually quite interested in, in seeing how that turns out because I, I would actually find it to be maybe a little bit more of an interesting read to get that perspective of someone actually been able to relive a, a bond kind of moment like that. And then one other quick thing. Um, about five years ago, there was this guy who had done, what if James Bond were on Twitter? And, you know, back in the All right. Yeah. And, yes, and, yes. and he had to confront, yeah. like, how do I, you know, trying to make sense of the Fleming timeline? Because it's not like Fleming kept a really precise timeline. And his answer was that the events of Honor Manchester's Secret Service had started. Then Bond went to Canada on this mission. Then encountered Viv, and then he goes back to Europe, and he's back in the middle of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That was his solution to various... Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting... Mm. It, was, it was very interesting. He, he, mm. he went through all the novels and short stories. Uh, his timeline was 52 through 64. Um, mm. 
the, the, the conceit is, you know, Bond, you know, it's like, this is official secrets act. So he can't say what's really going on. Yeah. But you know, it's so all like with Dr. No and the guano, it's like, Oh, what happened? Oh, the, the steam shovel went crazy and buried Dr. No under all that guano. How, how could that happen? Mm. I mean, that tone. So, um, interesting. I, I remember, I remember spotting that account. That was a clever, you know, sometimes, you know, for as, as, as distasteful as Twitter can be sometimes every once in a while, you're like, Hey, that's pretty clever. And that's an interesting way of using that platform. You know, yeah. Bond tweeting his missions, you know, but under the guise of the secret service X, we can't quite reveal. That's, that's clever. I remember reading some of those tweets. They were, they, they gave me a good chuckle. I was like, ah, I see what that's a reference to. Um, interesting that James Bond is on a mission and tweeting about it at the same time. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> Um, Emery, is there anything we haven't talked about about the spy who loved who loved uh, me? Not me, literally, but but uh, could be you. Uh, I think uh, I think we've covered all our, all our bases on this one. It's um, you know, I'm, I'm surprised we actually were able to to talk about it so much and and have so many things to say about it because it's it's a it's a Bond novel and it's not a Bond novel, uh, but it's definitely a Fleming novel. So it's it's mm. it, there's there's a lot of interesting things to say about it. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually happy I jumped on this one because there's, there's a lot of stuff that kind of, you know, were personal to me in that too. So it was, uh, it's, it's, it's a different read. It's a fun read. Well, also, um, Flem, like I said earlier, Fleming kind of disowned the book and mm. he considered it a failure, failure, I guess. But, you know, Fleming's, a Fleming failure can be interesting than uh, other people's successes. And so. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah. So it's, it's certainly an interesting like I say, it's a one-off, and you know I wouldn't want to see a sequel, but uh, it, oh, it, but it is interesting. Even Fleming out on off day is is interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting way of contextualizing it. You know, if we relate it to film, you know, do I want to see a bad movie made by a director nobody really cares about, or it's like, oh man, can you believe this awful? Martin Scorsese film, like awful Martin Scorsese film. I'm like, what's that about? You know, like, yeah, I'll watch the awful Martin Scorsese film. You know, it's like, well, well, I'll give you an example. Um, an awful Howard Hawks film, Red Line 7000. It's a movie about uh, stock car drivers. It was, it was, um, it's got James Caan, it's got George Takei, it's got really, um, geez. It, it's, it's, but it's like, there's something definitely off about it. It's, it's just, it, you know, Hmm. It was a bad day for Howard Hawks, but <laughs> right. it's but it's still engrossing. Um, anyway, it's... Yeah. sometimes the masters have it, and and Fleming was definitely a master. Uh, do you guys, do you still have your copies of your books on you on hand? Yes. Let's say the the last page, uh, like after Vivian has, after Vivian has um, has you know finished telling her story, is there like a little? I've heard there's some copies with a special message at the end. Um, mine does not have that. Your yours doesn't, but you. So that's a no on you, Bill. Interesting. No, no on me. I, I we've got the same edition, so I'm assuming. Unless, what does yours say? Mine says Jane's Bond returns and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. What is what does yours say? <laughs> Edgar, what does yours say? He got my book. No, he got my book. Yeah, he got my book. Maybe he got, he got your book. book. I thought you were only working through emails and texts. 
he's old school. He can kick it old school sometimes, this M. White. You have people everywhere. 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 With your wife, with your dog. Um, mm, I hope we not. Do at, the, <laughs> we, we do, at the same time or not. Uh, <laughs> we do have people everywhere. Uh, Jamesbondcomplex.com. Uh, we have pod, podcasters on Anchor. What is this stupid thing called now? Podcasters for Anchor? Anchor for Spotify. For podcasters? For That's, Spotify. Oh, yeah. Damn it. SpotifyAnchor.com.spot.jamesbondcomplex. Uh, we're on Instagram at the James Bond Complex, Facebook, the James Bond Complex, YouTube. We keep saying it, but we don't upload anything. We haven't uploaded anything in a year, I feel. Uh, although I'll get to you in, in, in a moment, Emery. Um, it's not true, but yes, but anyway. Oh, really? What the hell did we upload? The watch this? episode was the last one that we did. Um, and I think there's another, there's an episode of Quantum Assault that's on there from really a month ago. Interesting. With David Zerinsky. I don't pay I don't even pay attention to our own channel. <laughs> no, I I'm so past caring at this point. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even gonna edit that out. Um and uh what what what, what do we do? All oh, right, Balodo Diffusion Quebec puts in and uh mm. Google Podcasts and um and Apple Podcasts, search for the James Bond Complex, subscribe, write a review. Um, leave us a five-star glowing golden gun review and tell us how, how if you were a 22-year-old woman, um, how would you have handled uh, horror and slugsy? Uh, Bill, you're a little bit everywhere. You're everywhere online. <laughs> Where can we find you? Well, the uh, Spy Command blog is at hmssweblog.wordpress.com. Uh, I've been, for a while now, I've been doing audio versions of posts. Um, mm. and so those can be found at Spotify and on Apple podcasts. Uh, mm. you know, they're not much, you know, they're like two <laughs> minutes, you know, uh, typically, but, uh, audiobook versions of spy command. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, it's that, you know, I've got other webs, I've got other websites. Uh, I, I, God help me! I did start a Bond Twenty Six timeline. That may take forever. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. No, but there, there's. We're recording this April first, so I'm noticing there's a lot of posts about you know the new actor and things like that. I mean, oh no, <laughs> oh my God, no. Well, well, you know the the most recent piece of news, quote unquote, was about this supposed casting of a of M. this. Oh, M, this 36 year old comedic actress. And it's, oh, it's Phoebe Waller Bridges' idea. And like, this is like, it's not April 1 yet, God. No, thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. anyway, we, yeah. you might want to edit that part out. I just, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, it's so bizarre. But yes, there is a Bond 26 timeline. So. Nice. We'll see how it goes. Oh, I hope you are ready for the long. I, you know what? I, I, I have the utmost confidence in your abilities, Bill, to handle the Bond 26 timeline because the Bond 25 timeline stretched your skills and maybe patience uh, as far as it could. So I know however long they take to make that stupid movie, I know you can handle this. <laughs> this may be like the American involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear Lord. In terms Our of a long is... slog. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, 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 we can edit this next part out. Do you, do you want to say that the intrepid 007 whatever is back? Or uh... yeah, I could I could plug it just just briefly. Um, sure. Well, I'm on Instagram at double seven underscore intrepid. Um, 
Facebook as well. The Intrepid Double Seven podcast has returned on mm. YouTube in kind of a limited capacity. Before I talk about that uh, YouTube, I want to talk about an episode that was on the Intrepid Double Seven podcast YouTube chain mm. back in the day that I moved over to the James Bond complex. And it is pertinent to this episode because it was our trip to Quebec City that we explained the locations mm -hmm. from the book um, that we visited. But also, funnily enough, it's mentioned in the Shadow Frontenac, which is the famous hotel in, in Quebec City where the Quebec conference was hosted. Ian Fleming was there with um, Admiral Godfrey and et cetera for those conferences in the, in the 40s to discuss, I forget which military operation it was in World War II, but there is a plaque on the wall with the mention that yeah. Quebec City is mentioned in the novels. And in the plaque itself, if you remember, Edgar, there is a novel yeah. in there of The <laughs> yeah. Spy Who Loved Me, but it is the novelization of the film, and it's signed by Roger Moore. So a little bit of an oh. oddity there. It's mentioned in the video, so if you want to check that out on our YouTube page, uh, it's called Operation Cold Reception. It was the first time you guys came to visit me in Quebec City, and we did this whole, hmm. almost as we do, have done every time, is visit the Shadow Frontenac. But anyway, that's um, that's a little bit uh, related to The Spy Who Loves Me. Personally, yeah, I have rewatched. Yeah, it's the, interesting. Uh, like, I, I, I get why they would have a copy of the book because so much of it is concentrated in that neck of the woods and the the main characters from there. It's but the, the wrong fact book. that it's the novelization with Roger Moore's <laughs> and the inscription oh. mentions everything about the book, uh, the novel, uh, but it's the wrong book that's in there. Anyway, so that's that's a curious thing, and it's Roger Moore signed it because Roger Moore had visited Quebec City in yes. two thousand six or two thousand seven. So, anyway. Uh, so yeah, the Intrepid Double Seven podcast is back in kind of a limited capacity. I'm doing just quick episodes here and there, uh, and it's just like kind of offbeat stuff that we wouldn't do on the James Bond complex that are kind of different and wild and and silly and um, yeah, yeah, just a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. You, I, I won't spoil it, but you listed a few things you might be talking about, and I, what? Yeah, yeah, I'll tune into that one. I don't know what this guy's talking about. What, what by the time uh, by the time this episode comes out, I think uh, either no, see, I won't spoil it because I haven't decided the exact lineup of what's coming up next. But there is going to be an episode that's a music episode where I specifically yeah. talk about the relation I'm of right. Bond cover songs and yeah, it'll Anyways. be interesting. It's a different perspective. Anyways, I, I, I'm just a fan of the Intrepid 007 podcast. Uh, I have to manage this this myth. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, th Bill, uh, I want to uh, thank you for your uh, time, uh, for your insights, for your presence, for your 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 wit, your charm, and your intelligence once again uh, on the James Bond Complex. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always it's always a blast to be here. Um, Thanks, I, you Bill. know what? It's you're one of the easiest guests to, to bring on. We'll we'll think of an excuse to bring you. Uh, we'll try to keep it. Let me ask you this, Bill. Semi serious question, but I'm I'm sort of half joking. Do you like being on the James Bond complex to talk about James Bond things or non James? Because we've had you a couple of times with things that weren't James Bond. <laughs> uh, either or, I'm, 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 okay. I'm, 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 it's, it's it's usually something in my wheelhouse, regardless. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I remember yeah. we did that Mission Impossible TV show uh, episode, and uh, and re month previous to that, my most recent appearance here was talking about the Mission Impossible '96 movie mm, that was yes. with uh, with Matt, 
as yeah, host. He's, uh, he's the point man on that series. I may have had to fill in for someone uh, recently, and it wasn't for the movie. I thought, I thought it would be. <laughs> it did you okay. do MI2 or did you do MI3? I did MI2. I did okay. MI2. It has, it's not out at the time of this recording, but I did MI2. It was very last minute. Better you but, than me. Uh, <laughs> see, I I've, like I've never movie. seen MI2 because, as I said on, on the podcast i was so mad that they made phelps the villain in the first one it's like i'm not gonna see another one of these uh, i eventually i eventually with four i finally came back but uh, I, i've never i've never seen two or three so well it's uh it's two is not like the. <laughs> not I, I couldn't get past two bill i couldn't get past two uh oh. two really killed it for me <laughs> See, I, 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 I started with four because Brad Bird was the director. It was his live action debut. Mm, so it's yes, like, all right, all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I liked it. I was like, okay, I'll, I, I rationalized it by saying, oh, it's alternative universe, I guess. Yeah, so, there you go. There you go. Like, there's all, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. So on that note, just as James Bond always returns, I think we're, we still have a lot of second edition left. So, um, the hell is the next one? Majesty Secret Service. Majesty. So he'll be back in, in a little while for Majesty Secret Service. We have a guest that's agreed to do that book. And um, so too with the James Bond complex with uh, whatever you put in the Google calendar, Emery. And, uh, <laughs> well, also one real quick thought. It is interesting about Fleming's versatility. He writes this book and then his next book is Majesty's, which is hmm. his single biggest epic. Yeah. Uh, it's like, boy, yeah. I mean, again, another that's that that's kind of amazing he's he definitely wasn't in a, he was not in a rut in terms of no. style no um, to, he wasn't out of gas by then either yeah yeah majesties is uh you know we'll, we'll get there at when we get there as we like to say in the podcast but that should be a pretty interesting one um uh, that's that's another one i haven't read in a little bit i've read it a couple of times but mm. the later ones are the ones i've read the fewest i'm a little bit like um i wish finish this episode off but i'm a little bit like melanie in the sense that post from russia would love for whatever reason i just haven't read them as much yeah um so i need to refresh my memory on majesties i'm very excited for that one uh once again thank you bill thanks again uh, uh, thanks uh emery for uh, taking a bit of time because you're you're you, you can be a little bit busy on weekends so i appreciate you doing this on saturday morning i gotta go and, do dad things uh, now I'm, I'm going to go to work. Uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, sur ce, toujours un plaisir. Merci et à la prochaine. À la prochaine.